Welcome to the Industry 4.0 Community Weekly Podcast hosted by me, Walker D. Reynolds from 4.0 Solutions for July 12th, 2022. This is a pre-recorded podcast. Uh, You guys will remember I am on sabbatical. This week we are going to be covering a very important topic, and the goal of this podcast this week is for um, me to produce a podcast that hopefully will be the most valuable one we've ever done to answer a lot of questions. And I'm going to do a little bit of background um, as to why, you know, the subject that we're going to cover today. So today we're going to cover Industry 4.0, we're going to cover digital transformation, and we're going to cover the digital transformation maturity assessment process. Okay, and the goal here, and it's to answer lots and lots of questions, when I was going through the questions to answer, um, it, the, one of the most Im- common questions that we get is, um, why do organizations need to do a DTMA? Or why do I need to digitally transform? Or how are we going to benefit from Industry 4.0? And I've shot lots and lots of different videos like, what is Industry 4.0? Why does it matter? What is a digital transformation? Why does it matter? This is going to be different. I'm going to I'm going to be more detailed and I'm going to and I'm going to I'm going to make the argument that you would just give to an executive. So if you're if you're challenging, if you're dealing with, um, you know, if you're dealing with, uh, you know, you're a change agent in your organization or you're even questioning, like, you know, why why should we do this? This the this video and the accompanying micro content that'll come from it, the videos, the ten minute clips, the five minute clips that our team is going to create from this. That's what this podcast is for. I I'm absolutely winging this. All I've done is just paste some um, notes uh, into a OneNote. I'm totally winging it. This is the most. This is the number one question we get. You know, why does this matter? You know, give me the elevator pitch. Why do I? You know, what do I tell my organization? Why does this matter? All the things you're saying are true. We are the organization you're describing. We are the, you know, we're made of all the cavemen you're describing, describing the citizen against virtually everything. Why does this matter? I'm going to explain that today, okay? Um, so, but first, uh, I want to I do two, two quick background things. So number one, there's a very important premise that um, – everyone has to accept. Okay. We, in order for this conversation to mean anything to you, you have to, there's a very basic premise you have to accept. And that is that, that young people and old people. So the youngest generation we have right now, those say those who are between 14 and 30 are, and the group that is from 40 to 80 have never been further apart philosophically than they are right now um, in the West, okay? And, and the West is the industrialized nations, right? So there are, there's a sociological and a socio-psychological element to why Industry 4.0 matters, okay? You have people who in the, in the older generation, let's, let's use Tesla as the example, People in the older generation, which I'm a member of, I'm actually 48, so between 40 and 80, who who don't understand why Tesla is such a popular company, 
you know, why do people buy Teslas? There people between 40 and 80 don't, they're the, if you're going to find someone who doesn't understand why you're buying a Tesla, they're, they're most likely going to be between the ages of 40 and 80. And the reason why is because their mindset is, is completely different. The idea that you would buy a car without test driving it, the idea that you wouldn't go to a car dealer and haggle over the price, the idea that, uh, you would either drive to some parking lot to pick up your brand new car or someone's going to deliver it to you. All of these concepts, the idea that you're going to plug it into the wall when you get home and you're not going to go to a gas station, you're not going to take it to a service center every two months for it to get an oil change and the tires, you know, all that stuff. The idea that you're going to schedule your, your service through an app on your phone, the idea that, um, it, the car is going to feel minimalist when you're inside of it, but it has more features than any vehicle you've ever driven. And it's all through this big, huge screen in the center. And, and you get new features and the car gets better as, as, uh, as you get older. That concept is very foreign for older people, the 40 to 80 crowd. Okay. Um, but it is taken for granted by the younger generation. Right. The 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 generation between these, say, the ages of 14 and 30, they take it for granted. And the reason why is because those people are the people who were born. The vast majority of them were born after the fourth industrial revolution started. And the fourth industrial revolution is really just the automation automation of business processes for manufacturing. But if we look at what it means to the consumer, what it is, is it's, it's the age of when you could start buying products that get better after you buy them began. So for the young person, the fourth industrial revolution, which, you know, really starts in, say, the year 2000, you could argue it started a little earlier, but TCPIP didn't really win the protocol war until, you know, 98 to 2000. So we'll say it's 2000. That's really when the age of buying products that get better after you buy them started. Right. So even up to that point, you didn't have automatic update software updates. Right. So th that was that was not common at all. Like even in your operating system, you didn't have automatic software updates as being very common for people. OK, you you got a new operating system by going to the software store and buying a new disk. I mean, I remember when Windows 95 came out, there were lines around the corner for people to buy Windows 95. You know, and they were buying it in a box on a bunch of discs, right? That was pre-Fourth Industrial Revolution. I'm from that generation. But m the y young people, the gen gen millennials, Gen Zs, right? They, they're from a generation where everything that they've ever wanted has always been at their fingertips. So for them, the idea <clears throat> that I can't get the information I want, where I want, when I want, right now is just completely foreign it, it it it's absurd it's like them to them it's like being in the stone ages okay <clears throat> the idea that when i buy something it's not going to get better after i buy it even to the point i mean look who look at who buys sneakers that have speakers built into them believe it or not these exist or backpacks that have their smart backpacks that's not people the age of 40 and older. That's young people. And why do they buy that? Well, because that thing gets better after they buy it. It provides it, – it's the combination of multiple products in one. 
which they are accustomed to because they came up during the smartphone age where the smartphone was the smartphone and tablet was the first time the that any consumer got accustomed to having many functions in one place all the functions you would need and look at how addicted people are to that technology but go walk in a train station right go walk in a train station um and 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 just look at people like go to grand central station in new york city go to penn station in new york city uh go to one of the dart um landings in in dallas and what you're going to find is two types of people you're going to find people who have their airpods in and they're and they're on their phone they're literally looking at their phone there's actually a great book that shows um you know, this, this photographer went through and he took photos of people in public. And then what he did was he removed all their technology. He like literally removed the phone from their hands. So in the photo, anybody who was looking at their phone in the photo that he removed the photo to show what people look like, right? You have two types of people. You got people who are staring at their phone, they're, they're plugged in. And then you've got people who are either, they got their head up and looking around and, you know, they're reading a book. Um, and you can break those people up by age group. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't people in their 30s who are looking at their phone or people who are reading books in their 30s. But if you were going to delineate, you notice that group that I left out was the between 30 and 40. It's really a transitional group, right? So the, the foundation here is, and this is a really important distinction, and this is one of the reasons digital transformation needs to be so urgent. It's such an urgent issue, okay, um, for many reasons, is because... We've never been further, the age groups have never been further apart, ideologically, preference, philosophically, terms of skill, okay? Uh, young people are far smarter. Um, my 14-year-old my son, he has the education I had at the age of 30. And, and I'm a, an incredibly intelligent person. But my 14-year-old son, my 23-year-old son, my 18-year-old son, my 23-year-old daughter, they all know more about the world at their ages than I knew by the age of 30 in terms of just total number of facts, access to those facts, okay? They're, they're much, much smarter. And philosophically and ideologically, they're, they're very, very far apart from us, okay? And we see that in our politics and we see that in, you know, in our civil life, in civic life, right? So the basic premise is you have two types of people. Okay. You have industry 3.0 people. We'll break them up that way. You got industry 3.0 people who are sort of used to case by case. Um, there's a different, you know, manual and automated case by case, right? Um, they have their foot in both worlds, right? They have their foot in the tech world and they have their foot in the manual world, in the clipboard and, and paper and pencil world and in the tech world. And they generally have lower tech skills than the other group, which is the people who are, they're fully in the tech world. Okay. If you were to, if you were to go into my kids' rooms, I mean, this is one of the things that really stands out to me. Here's something you would notice right away. There are no posters on the walls. Like, uh, there, there are no photo frames. And if there is, it's a smart frame. The rooms look very minimalist because what all the functions that we had, that I had, my room was covered with posters of Michael Jordan when I was growing up. 
mean, literally every inch of the walls in my bedroom was covered with Michael Jordan and Dwight Gooden when I was growing up in the 80s or in the 80s and the, in the 90s. Um, my kids, their walls are empty. You know, they all have a, you know, a, you know, a six or seven hundred dollar gaming desk with a with a, you know, high end computer in their room and they have nothing on the walls. Nothing. At all. They've got a smart TV in their room. They've got a smart speaker, smart speaker next to their bed, you know, and uh, Alexa. And um, and they have a smartphone on their bedstand. All of their lights are they turn on and off without ever touching a switch. Their whole life is automated. The whole life is integrated. And then if you look in my room, right, and I'm a tech guy, my room is it doesn't look like their room. For example, I don't have a computer in my room. I have my computer desk is out in a in a in a common area. Why? Because I was always I was brought up to keep that technology out of your room. I do have a, t- a smart TV and, that, and a smart speaker, and my lights turn on and off, and I control my thermostat and everything remotely. But I have books next to my bed. Okay, I have a Kindle next to my bed. I still have very. I have. A, I have a white. I still use a whiteboard. My kids don't use whiteboards for anything, unless I'm asking them to. So the basic premise is we are very different. You have two huge, vastly different generations. So that's the basic foundation, and it's a really important distinction here. All right. Let's, um, let's talk about why is it companies are digitally transforming. So why are companies digitally transforming? And what I'm going to talk about today is we're going to talk about digital transformation, Industry 4.0. We're going to talk about some of the stuff I teach, Okay. Why organizations have to do this? Why, well, but, well, before we get to the why they have to and what are the steps and, and what do you need to be telling people in your organization, okay? What we're going to do is tell you about why it is that organizations are digitally transforming to begin with, okay? So there's really four reasons that we come across when we talk to organizations why they're digitally transforming if they are, you know, without us convincing them. Number one because the competition is. So that's the FOMO. That's the fear of missing out. So there's only four reasons. They're, they are digitally transforming. That is, they're becoming an industry 4.0 company um, because their competition is. They're, they're, they, they may not even know what the value is. They just fear there's some value they're missing out on. Number two, to serve their mission. Okay. Um, and that mission could be something like, um, you know, we want to make the best tech products, uh, uh, you know, to to help accelerate the um, the development of the third world um, on Earth, and and not and 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 by creating some ex- ex- super super low cost mobile phone that operates off satellite technology that can be managed and updated remotely. Like if they want to serve their mission, they are digitally transforming out of need. Okay. Depending upon what that mission is. Number three, some companies are doing it to make the products that consumers need and want. So 
you can't make um you can't create tech that that younger generation they're the ones who waste all their money you know older people spend a lot less money than younger people do if you want to get young people to buy your stuff then you have to make the stuff they need and want okay and and they're very different that that audience that young audience is very very different okay this is an important distinction right now the vast majority of people who are purchasing sensors in manufacturing environments are still the older engineers. They're the guys over the age of 40, the guys and gals over the age of 40. The purchasing agent is older. They're not young. They're not in that young generation yet, but they will be very soon. The purchasing agent's not younger. The, the, the general manager of the facility is not young. It, go look at the average general manager purchasing agent, your average senior engineer in a facility, they're still in this older generation. Okay. So right now, you know, if I'm a 25 year old engineer and I'm building a piece of equipment and I've got complete control over what's going to go in that piece of machinery, everything that I put on that machine is going to be smart. And the reason why is because it doesn't cost that much more. It's, it's, it's a negligible, it's 10%, 10, 11 percent in general to to make all of the data acquisition components the, the individual sensors themselves smart that is they they can, can plug into a network they know something about themselves and they can inform about themselves rather than something just talking to it over a field bus and creating those three elements um, I'm gonna buy the smart devices but if I want to make products that customer that the young people need and want that is because they're the people who buy stuff, then I have to be a digitally transformed organization or I, or I can't compete. And then the last one, this is the most rare reason, okay, is there are organizations who have transformative leadership who want to remain viable in an industry 4.0 economy. This is really, if you, so if you were to ask the question, why is Ford digitally transforming? And, and by the way, I, I mean, I remember reading an article from 2017. I can't remember if it was in Bloomberg or Forbes or whatever. It's talking about Ford, their digital transformation issue. It was before Jim Farley took over at Ford. Um, and they were talking about how Ford was like a leader in digital transformation. I remember I was working with a tier one supplier who was working with Ford at that time, thinking, no, they're not <laughs> at all. They're not. They're not a leader in digital transformation at all. They're, they are digital, tr digitally transforming individual silos within the organization, but they're not digitally transforming the organization. They're certainly, certainly not making a common ecosystem, and they certainly haven't settled on a common technology, and they're certainly not focused on you know, a closed-loop organization that plugs into a digital supply chain. I remember reading that in 2017, thinking whoever wrote this article doesn't know what digital transformation actually is, right? Um, Ford, though, I would argue, they want to remain viable in an industry Ford Auto company, uh, economy. So does Toyota. They, they're, they're doing the same thing. Um, you know, Toyota created Toyota AI Ventures for this exact reason, right? But, and, you know, Planet of the Future and all that jazz. And I would say that Ford is also digitally transforming because of number one, because the competition is. But I, don't, I wouldn't argue that Jim Farley ever is making the argument that 
we want to be a digital company because we want to make the products that consumers need and want. I don't think he he would ever make that argument. And 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 Ford Ford doesn't have any meaningful mission in the world. So it's not two or three, okay? But remember, companies digitally transform. They're really digitally transforming for one of those four reasons. So when you, if you're the change agent in your organization or you're the person who's asking this question, why should I digitally transform? What you really ought to do is pick from one of those four choices or more than one of them. So do I care that the competition is digitally transforming? That they're becoming a, uh, a company that automates their business processes? Okay. Number two, do I, do I need to digitally transform to serve some mission? If you look at our, and I'm going to talk about our digital transformation maturity assessment and our data set. If you look at the top 10 companies, so the, um, the date, you know, three, 1,300, I don't know, maybe it might be 1,400 companies in the data set now. Um, and, you know, we run statistical analysis. We score them across 10 industry 4.0 pillars, and then we, we run a statistical um, normalized distribution, and then we cluster the groups together. So, you know, you, if you see a dot on the distribution, that could represent 10 companies, 15 companies, 20 companies because of how large the data set is. If you look at the top 10 companies, and the data, number one is, is Tesla. They have the highest score in the sample. Um, but there's a company in there who the reason they digitally transformed was only to serve their mission. That's it. The, they didn't. The, they had no competition. They created a whole brand, a brand new market. They aren't making a product that consumers need and want. They made it. A, they didn't even know if consumers would need or want their product. And they don't need to remain viable in an industry 4.0 company because they don't produce anything. What they do is they process water. But they understood they wanted to serve a mission, and their mission was to be able to create potable water in disaster and production situations. So for people who work out in the desert, they wanted to be able to process water and make potable water for showers and drinking for people who live in the desert or, or working in the desert. They also wanted to be able to quickly go to disaster areas and keep people alive, you know, reduce the risk of uh, cholera and, and uh, E. coli contamination by providing a product that could save lives. Okay, the only reason they digitally transformed was to serve their mission, right? The question you got to ask is why? Why should you? Why should your organization digitally transform? Okay, so start with one of those four, because your competition is to serve our mission, whatever that is, whatever that statement is, to make the products that consumers need and want, or to remain viable in an industry 4.0 economy. All manufacturers at some point. The fourth one is going to be their reason. You got to remain viable. If you can't plug into a digital supply chain, if you can't plug into a supply chain ecosystem, and rather than, you know, set put out bids to only the suppliers that you know of, rather than putting out a bid to all suppliers who can respond to you, number two, you know, and then be able to monitor the status of your supply chain, and then only only be able to sell to the people you touch rather than being able to sell, sell to any available consumer. If you have no plan to do that, you're just not going to be in business. I mean, that's just an absolute certainty, right? So ask that question. Number two, let's just 
quickly. Industry 3.0, real simple, the automation of industrial processes. It was when we put, it's when we put little tiny computers to automate machines on the plant floor so that we could engineer out safety. We wanted to keep people safe and we wanted equipment to be really efficient. Okay, we wanted operational efficiency and we wanted safety. We wanted to remove people from the dangerous situation. So in places where you had people in between machines that if they made just a simple mistake, they could get killed, you used automation in, starting in really the 1970s to engineer that out. But a, a byproduct of that was we put lots of really smart devices on the plant floor that were capturing digital data everywhere, not just on the plant floor, everywhere, on your scales, in your warehouses, everywhere, all over the, all over the economy. But for some 30 years, no one did anything with it except on a unique case-by-case -case basis. I might connect to it, collect the data, and maybe put a little touch screen or I'd, I'd put, or I'd put a little control panel that somebody could control that thing. But I was never doing anything with the raw data. So if I had 10 of the things, 10 of that exact same pro machine, I was never comparing across those 10 machines. I was doing nothing with that, okay? The fourth industrial revolution, once we implemented network, everyone had smart stuff. All the companies who didn't automate died or they didn't advance died. So Kodak is a really good example. Smith Corona is a really good example. Corning glass got a lot, lot smaller. But if it weren't for Gorilla Glass, Corning glass wouldn't even exist. You know, Corning Glass created Gorilla Glass in the 1970s. Had it not been for the advent of the smartphone in the 2000s, where Corning Glass had a reason to, uh, had a product that they could sell to smart companies, um, Corning Glass wouldn't even exist, right? So after those companies died, after the companies who didn't leverage the technology from the third industrial revolution died off, and all you were left with were wholly industry 3.0 companies, and then TCP/IP won the protocol wars in the late late nineteen you know nineteen nineties. Now what you had was a connected network. You had a wide area network, and everybody was on a local area network, and you could connect the local area network to the wide area network. So once you had the ability to connect all the smart things together, the fourth industrial revolution started. Right, and that's where we are right now. And the fourth industrial revolution is all about the unification of operational technology. The thing. All the events, all the things that happen on a plant floor, in a warehouse, you know, in, in industry. And then, the, and then the IT side, the information technology, which is congruent. You know, IT is common in finance. It's common in industry. It's common in, in the commercial side. It's common at home. The same IT you use at work, you're using in your house. We're unifying that stuff together. And, and in that, during that process, we are automating business processes. So we're automating decision-making, we're eliminating sneaker net, we are digitizing everything, and we are using software, artificial intelligence, machine learning, to find patterns in the data we can't see with the naked eye. And then we are using the predictions that come from those patterns to either mitigate a bad outcome or uh, exacerbate a positive outcome. That's the automation of business processes, okay? So there's a process. You have two types of companies. You have the industry 3.0 company who needs to transform to an industry 4.0 company. And then you have the industry 4.0 company, the one who is building, they're building their organization from the ground up with their business processes automated. 
So not only are their machines automated, but they're automating their business processes on a common technological infrastructure. Okay, they're creating an, an ecosystem for things to talk to one another. There's some important distinctions. You treat all smart things as a thing that can produce and consume data. So if you look, and I'm going to talk about SESME here in a minute, I'm going to talk about Rockwell Connected Enterprise, um, I'm going to talk about Microsoft's approach to digital transformation, McKinsey's approach to digital transformation, Deloitte, all the big players. All those big players, they did something that was pretty fucked up. If I'm, and I, I don't want to group SESME in that group. I, I'm actually a big fan of SESME. I don't like the way SESME evaluates organizations. Their, their assessment process is definitely flawed. Uh, but the technology, the approach, everything that they're talking about, I, I'm a big fan of SESME. I'm a fan, fan of the organization, fan of the people there. Um, so I don't want to group them in there. But there is a flaw in their assessment process, a major flaw. Um, you had two, two types of organizations, one that was built from the ground up. So think Tesla. Tesla started, you know, and so did Amazon. Amazon started after the fourth industrial revolution. So Amazon Web Services is obviously far superior to Microsoft's um, Azure, Azure um, infrastructure. It's far superior. All Azure's really doing was leveraging the existing Microsoft install base to create a cloud infrastructure. Whereas AWS got to build it from the ground up as an extension of Amazon's internal technological infrastructure. The tools we use at Amazon Web Services as a customer are the same tools Amazon used to take over the world in terms of e not just e-commerce, just commerce in general, okay? And, and Amazon's claim to fame is that for 99, you know, I'm gonna talk about America here, for 99% of all Americans, you can get, you know, 90% of the things that you wanna buy on Amazon shipped to your door in 48 hours or less for free. And why is it that Amazon was the first one to be able to do that? Why could no one else do that? Is it, did Amazon buy did they build their own post office? Did they build their own UPS, their own FedEx? Like, how did they, how are they able to do that? How are they able to sell as much as they do for as little as they do and get it to you in 48 hours or less? For me here in Dallas, I get most of my stuff same day or in 24 hours. I mean, if I buy anything before nine o'clock in the morning, it's being delivered at five that night, right? And I can order groceries from Amazon within one hour, right? So how were they able to do that? Well, the answer is, is because they were an industry 4.0 company from day one. It's specifically that famous email in 2002 where Jeff Bezos said, we're going to use one common infrastructure and you're going to build services. You're not, not going to be allowed to share data and information manually. And if you do, you're going to get fired, right? You have to build services to serve data. He wasn't telling everyone hey, this is going to turn into Amazon Web Services. But he knew it was going to turn into something big. He knew it was going to make, it was going to turn Amazon into uh, a completely unified organization no matter where they were in the, or in the world. Okay, so there would be, there were required no manual transactions to move data and information from here to over there. So everyone could be informed in real time about the state of the business or the state of their purview. That coupled with the way Amazon approached projects, okay, there's another important, there's three real things that Amazon did that made them who they are. Number one, they, they had transformative and disruptive leadership in Jeff Bezos. He was visionary and he understood 
that all the shortcuts they were taking to manually move data around the organization was flawed. They knew that that was flawed. So he came out with that mandate in 2002, okay? That we're, you can't share data and information manually, okay? You, you're gonna build services and we're gonna use one common ecosystem. That became Amazon Web Services. Even though when you go to EC2 and spin up a VM, you're on the same infrastructure Amazon's on, okay? The, the way that you build things within Amazon AWS is the way Amazon builds stuff within Amazon. Number two, Bezos does this whole six page thing when it comes to pitching ideas. So if you're gonna pitch a, an idea, you have, to, you have to distill this business idea, no matter whether it's gonna cost tens of billions of dollars and yield hundreds of billions in revenue, you have to distill it into six pages. That's it, okay? So it requires people to get into the details so that they can distill those details into one sentence, okay? And number two, number three, once those six pagers get approved, the project gets handed off to someone who has absolute power over that project. Very small teams, okay? They do a, a very, I think they call it the two pizza team. If you can't feed everybody with two pizzas, the team's too big. So you make a very tiny team who's in charge of delivering on that six pager and you have absolute power. The person in charge has absolute decision-making power. Okay. So imagine you're the digital transfer director of digital transformation for some manufacturer. So for those of you out there right now who are the directors of digital transformation, okay. Think about how many roadblocks you run into when a iteration that is a, a, a use case that you are, digitally transforming to integrate into your ecosystem uh, crosses over someone else's area in the organization. Think about how many meetings you have to have, how many fights you have to have um, before you can, you can get that done. I remember one time we were doing a digital transformation project for a really large connectivity company. This is maybe five years ago. And um, we were working, those of you who are in mentorship and mastermind, you guys will have seen, I've, I've done a plating line demo for you guys. You, you've seen, like, we built a plating line demo for self-aware SCADA that shows you how, you know, you can move a rectifier from this cell to that cell, and the rectifier is going to show up in the right place in the visualization without you having to move the visual object. You know, it's just where the data shows up in the namespace drives what's on the window. Um, th that was for this company. In order for us to be able to deliver that final plating project, there were some infrastructure changes that needed to be made um, at, from the IT group. And primarily it was because the IIoT platform that we were using was like at L3, but the plating line was at L1, level one in the organization. The, the, the IIoT platform was at level three. This was a research and development line, which wasn't technically allowed to be on the production network. It took them six months to, uh, to, to, you know, make the, the network changes. And I remember it was supposed to be delivered in April. It got delivered in September. Um, and I, you know, I would do a meeting like every week. And eventually the IT guy who was in there, I told him in the meeting, I said, if, if you worked for me, you'd be fired. And then your boss would be fired. And then his boss would be fired and his boss would be fired. And I said, and then everybody would get the, the picture. Right. Um, but think about that. Think about how many times you are held up because you don't have decision-making power over that 
individual project. Okay. Um, it's at, Amazon doesn't have that. All right. So you got the Amazons who are the industry 4.0 company started from day one industry 4.0. So their, uh, their business processes are already automated. So, but the, the vast majority of people, the people who need to go through the digital transformation and maturity assessment, the, the companies that will become industry 4.0 companies, like if you don't want to be Kodak, Smith Corona, right? If you don't want to be those companies, right, then you have to transform, right? There, there will, you know, in, in 10 years from now, we're going to, you know, 10 to 20 years from now, we're going to talk about who the casualties were of digital transformation, which companies didn't get it. Now we laugh at Kodak when they ignored digital camera technology for regular film technology. Think about just how ignorant of a chief executive officer you got to be to make that decision. Now we laugh. We, everyone laughs. Oh, God, he was so stupid, you know? But at that time, 50% or more of the market agreed with Kodak's decision. 50% or more of the people out there. So, you know, that's why I sound so weird when I'm talking about digital transformation sometimes because I'm out on an island. And when I look at, when I point at Rockwell's Connected Enterprise, and I know that's never, you know, or even PTC's approach, to digital transformation, right? And I like PTC, and, and I think PTC has made better decisions than Rockwell did. The worst decision PTC made was the Rockwell partnership, I'll be honest with you there. But it may have made them money in the short term, but it's gonna hurt them long term. Um, you know, Aviva's acquisition of OSI, OSI Soft, terrible decision. Um, and they know that now, for sure. But. Um, the, the people who laugh at some of the things that I say where I'm pointing at these companies, I'm the person who would have been pointing at Kodak in the, in the late 70s on the digital camera piece. And that, that's really the, the, the equivalency here, right? But those companies who are going to transform, they are going to do it a very specific way, okay? It, we, we know this. We, there, there are two types of companies that are digitally transforming out there. You have those who are going to McKinsey, Deloitte, um, says me, they're going to um, Rockwell, they're going to Schneider, they're going to Siemens, and they're asking those companies to guide them through their digital transformation journey. And all of them, every single one of those organizations, except for SESME, SESME does go technology driven as opposed to solutions. So I don't want to, again, I don't want to, you know, SESME, I like SESME, and I think SESME gets it right way, way, way more than they get it wrong. I just disagree with their assessment process. Um, the, they're doing what's known as digital threat, okay? And here's the fundamental flaw with going to Rockwell or Schneider or McKinsey or Deloitte or any of these companies to have them help you digitally transform. Here's the flaw in their documents, and I've read them all. I get hired to do peer reviews, and I, I basically point out the exact same thing. Number one there is a fundamental principle of digital transformation where we know digital transformation is successful. And that is you treat all smart things in your business as a node in an ecosystem. Okay. So that is, and what is a node? It's a thing that can communicate into an ecosystem and it can, it can consume. So we call that publish subscribe, but not, I'm not just sending information out, I'm not just sending data out for someone else to collect. I can also consume that data. The fundamental flaw in the digital thread, which is the approach that everyone takes, which is basically, 
or not everyone, but all the legacy companies take, is that what it assumes that data acquisition only goes in one direction, that the data in a PLC needs to eventually, you know, let's shape it in the PLC as in the shape of a triangle or whatever, and then let's store it in our data lake as a triangle, and then let's consume it in our analysis layer, you know, let's do the triangle call to pull all the triangles out, and then let's visualize all the triangles in our UI layer. That's the digital thread. That's how Rockwell does it. That's how McKinsey recommends you do it. That's how all these companies recommend you do it. There is a simple reality out there. That isn't how Tesla does it. <laughs> it's not how Amazon does it. Okay? That, that, they don't do that. What they do is they treat all nodes in the ecosystem as a, all smart things as a node, a thing that sends data and consumes information okay that this is a, a very fun this is a fundamental distinction and like here in the be, the best example i can give you is um you have to consume raw events from a plc to calculate overall equipment effectiveness so an mes system if i want to calculate oee on a scale of zero to 100 how efficient is my machine operating right now based on availability on a scale of zero to 100 quality on a zero to 100 and and production on a zero to a hundred. I have to consume events from lots of places, right? So in order to do that calculation, I need to know what is my standard rate? Uh, what's my scheduled rate? What product am I running? What is the, um, what is the uh, um, um, cycle time of the piece of equipment? So I'm getting that information from lots of places. Like I, I, some of it might come from the bill materials. Some of it might come from the ERP directly. It might come from some other system. Could come from the limb system. The quality number. How the the you know let's say I do inspection of parts offline in a lab. Well, that's not on the machine itself. So if I want to calculate OEE, I've got to get the number of bad parts from the from the lab inspections from those samples. That's oftentimes that's going to be in some quality system. You have to be able to put all that stuff together, right? Digital thread is basically you consume from those systems, you count you, and you and you put all the you know ETL extract, transform, load, right? Well, that only goes in one direction. But what if I want to use the OEE calculation inside of the PLC to for for some piece of automation code, right? Well, now what I'm going to do because my infrastructure isn't designed by default to make that possible for the PLC easily, okay? Now what I've got to do is I've got to, for that very specific use case, I've got to create some integration. I got to put an engineer between where the OEE number is and my PLC, and I have to have them engineer an integration. And whether or not I do that is a function of how, what, how high the value it is I calculate for the PLC to know that piece of information. The flaw in the digital thread is that the digital thread does not assume that all smart things in the, in the ecosystem may be interested in any piece of data or any piece of information within the business. Okay, that's number one. So that's a problem with that. So what's the most effective way to do it? Well, the most effective way is, is this strategy we've created over the last 10 years. Now, I didn't just pull it out of my butt, okay? Part of it was experience, okay? Part of it was looking at the companies who got it right, yeah, looking at how does Tesla do things. You know, I mean, I remember looking at the Model S line in 2013, well, that was when they were, they were putting the MES system on that line. 
I remember looking at that, that, um, that the way that the digital ecosystem operated uh, or was constructed and thinking no one else does this. Like I had no doubt in 2013, Tesla was going to be a transformative organization and all the people who are still like Tesla haters, they, I mean, the moment someone tells me they're a Tesla hater, I know they don't know what they're talking about. I know it immediately because anybody who goes to a gigafactory and walks on the plant floor, any, especially anyone in automotive, if you go to a gigafactory and you walk on the plant floor and you go from one side to the other and you have one of their controls engineers explain to you how that plant is integrated, you walk out on the other, the other side of that plant saying, we're out of fucking business. We're out of business. Okay. Um, so here is what works. Okay. If you're an industry 3.0 company and you're going to digitally transform, you're going to do it in two steps. Okay. Number one, number one, you're going to become a smart business. And that's going to take three to five years. And you have no idea what that journey is going to look like you, from, a, from a, a thousand foot view. And here's why. Because you're going to get smarter over the course of time and you're going to change course. Okay. Right now, think of it. You're a child when you start your digital transformation journey. Um, all the companies we've ever worked with, let me put this in perspective. This is pretty crazy. We were just talking about this yesterday. There is a, there's, I, I don't, I can't mention the name because I didn't get permission, but it, it's a company no one's basically heard of, but they, they do, they build um, HVAC equipment, air handling equipment, basically is what they do. We have done, we have 1300 companies in our digital transformation maturity assessment data set. Um, I have personally done uh, digital transformation maturity assessments for two or 300 companies, okay? I think we've done 600 total, uh, our company has. Um, and then the rest of the companies that are in the data set were either self-assessed or we pulled them from other assessments. We rescored them using our methodology. Um, there's, a comp there's only one company we have ever worked with who was qualified to lead their own digital transformation journey. And the people who work here know exactly who it is. They already had a group of engineers. They had already been studying our material partly, but also they, they, had, the, they had already built the correct team. They already had transformative and disruptive leadership in the organization. They had already built a digital transformation team made up of the right resources, and it was organized and given the, the, the correct amount of, of authority. Um, they already had a digital strategy, okay? They didn't have an architecture, which we helped them with. We, have, we had them build their unified namespace. But we were able to do the DTMA for them, and then they took the DTMA, which filled in the gaps that they didn't have, and, they have, and they've run with their own journey. The only, of all the companies we've ever worked with, this is the only company that didn't have to use uh, a third party to get them started in their early, the early iterations of their journey. That is the early use cases. Okay, But other than that, every organization ends up having to use a third party at least to get started to support them, resources, help write minimum technical requirements, whatever. But the, this journey happens in two steps. Okay. Step number one is you become a smart business, and that takes three to five years. Okay. It's connect, collect, store, 
analyze, visualize, find patterns, predict, report, solve. Every single company goes through those steps. One of the flaws in the EU's digital transformation, or you know, the EU's, uh, what is it, industry forward out maturity scale, is that it assumes that a business, it, the, the steps, the maturity steps, they, one, one of the major flaws in everyone else's assessment is that, um, or maturity scale, is that it grades the whole business in, in one category. So it'll, it'll say, is the business connected? Is the business collecting? Is the business storing data? Well, what percentage? Which, which percentage of the areas and by what reason? Why, you know, is, it, is whether or not I'm connected to equipment, collecting data and storing that data? Am I storing all of it? Am I connected to all equipment? And if I'm not, why not? Is it, is it a function of the age of the equipment? Every, if you look at a maturity, most maturity scales, most maturity scales tell you at which step you are in the organization. No organization is at just one step. In some area, they might be in the connect phase in, or in the connect step. In some area, they might be in the analyze step. But remember, the first step of the journey is connect, collect, store, right? That is, that's data stuff. Then you analyze and visualize. So you're pulling out data, turning it into information and visualizing it. And then the, the last step is you're using software, machine learning, to connect to that stuff that's stored, find patterns, predict, report, and solve. Right? That's the machine learning component, automating the business. Okay? The best way to do this, we, we created these, these minimum or um, the, the three pillars of digital transformation or four pillars of digital technology. You build common technology. You don't go to Rockwell and say, hey, we're going to use Connected Enterprise or we're going to use Azure. We're going to use you, you create a technological ecosystem like AW, like Amazon did or like Tesla did. And then you write minimum technical requirements. Your, if I want to use your software, Mr. Software Vendor, it has to meet these minimum technical requirements. If it doesn't, then I have to account for putting a special integration between your smart thing and my ecosystem. And that costs a lot more money. And every time I make a change in my ecosystem or I make a change in your smart thing, then I've got to also spend money on updating the integration between our two things. We've created four pillars for that technology, the common technology you're using in your infrastructure. So your protocols, this is where MQTT comes in, right? So we say that it has to be edge driven. So that is the smart thing needs to inform us of its data, not us polling it for its data. It needs to inform us. And if there's a change, that change just gets sent to us. So if I add a new tag or I add a new namespace, I add a new column in a table, it needs to be reported to us. Rather than in the, central, in the center piece of the ecosystem, I have to make an update to some integration so that that new piece of my model, my data model, shows up. Okay? So number one, it's going to be edge-driven. Number two, it's got to be report by exception. This goes to scalability. We only need to be told what's changed. That is, when a data point, when a value changes in a specific data point, we need to know that that changed. We don't need to know the other, it turns out it's 93% of data points. 93% of data points don't change at least once every 60 seconds. But only about 7% of the stuff, the data that you have in your business, is going to change at some high frequency. 
you know, in 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 less than uh, one 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 hundredth of one percent is going to change faster than once once per second. Believe it or not. So we only want to be told of the things that have changed. Okay. Number three, it needs to be lightweight. That is the transmission of the data in your business needs to be super lightweight. The packets, the headers, everything needs to be needs to be small. Okay, goes to scalability. And the last thing is needs to be open architecture. If you're a smart thing, and we're going to put you in our ecosystem, you ha you have to report to us how you, you the not just the data that we that you think is important to us, but we also need to know how you organized it. So we need to know the information that you create in your software, Mr. Sart, smart thing. So a really good example here would be like in a PLC, an, an open architecture, architecture PLC is gonna expose things like, what does our logic actually look like? So how is the logic structured? How, do the, how are the sequences structured? It's gonna contain things like cycle time on the processor, uh, how much memory is consumed, you know, all that stuff, right? That's open architecture, okay? The second step in digital transformation, okay, once you're a smart business, so now I've got a unified, you guys, I, first time I'm mentioning unified name space, that's in the centerpiece of the business, common technology, because it meets those four pillars, right? We generally use MQTT, but you can use any broker technology in the center of your business, okay? Once you become a smart business, that is, I'm fully connected, I'm collecting everything, I'm storing everything, I'm analyzing and visualizing on a use case by use case basis, but I, the most important thing is collecting every data point, I'm connected to every smart thing, I'm collecting every data point, and I'm storing everything so that I can then either analyze, visualize, or I can just use software to find patterns, predict, report, and solve. Once I'm smart, now I can plug into a digital supply chain. How can you do that? Well, all the events in my business are available. And if I'm using broker technology and I'm organizing the, the, the way the data is structured using a common standard like ISA 95 Part 2, which we, uh, we support, which is Enterprise Site Area Line Cell, then I can make available certain data points for external consumers in my organization. I can plug into a digital supply chain. I can allow my consumers to consume information about the status of their order. I can allow my suppliers to consume information about my schedule and what my needs are going to be for raw materials. Moreover, I can expose what I have available in my requisitions department, it's things that I, I need vendors to quote on. Okay, So you plug into a digital supply chain. So what does that mean? Let's go back to our original foundation. I'm going to become a smart business. You, a smart business isn't just about remaining competitive or serving your mission. It's also about being able to attract the, the, the employee of the future, which is a huge problem in manufacturing. Okay. And who is the employee of the future? It is a technologist who is enabled to solve their own problems. In the first major step of digital transformation, organizations, the, all the use cases, the way that you digitally transform, they're focused on unlocking potential on the plant floor through people by solving those people's problems, giving them the ability to solve their own problems and asking experts to solve the ones they can't sell for themselves, but in a common ecosystem. Okay? So why did we create the digital transformation maturity assessment process? And believe me, this is the number one question. How do I get my organization 
how do I get my organization to, um, to do this? Okay. And I'm going to walk you through it. This is our absolute number one question. Number one, the vast majority of manufacturers that we worked with at Intellic Integration, that we work with at Intellic Integration, were coming to us after their digital transformation initiative failed with another integrator or another partner. Okay. Um, a lot of what I got started doing was I was re peer reviewing the documents that they were being given by these other companies. And I was literally telling them, like, I, I reviewed the roadmap that, you know, enter in some consultancy firm did for this other company. It's fucking identical to what they gave you. Like, there's nothing unique about it. All they did was give you a list of use cases. And they gave you this three to five year strategy. But that it's not a strategy. It's literally a list of projects you should do in the next three to five years. Guess what's missing? Number one, common technology. There's the flawed assumption that the smart things don't need to also consume the information you create. And number two, that you're going to get smarter. Like what an organization wants, right? The thing, the problems you want to solve today are a function of what the organization knows today. But digital transformation is about exponentially increasing the collective knowledge of the organization through connecting, collecting, and storing data, then analyzing that data and visualizing it in MES systems, ERP systems, SCADA systems, but all from a common infrastructure. And then same thing with finding patterns, predict, reporting, and small. It's about becoming smarter. Well, what happens as you get smarter? You learn things you didn't know, which is going to change your priorities. And the, 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 the process that they go through to assess you, this deliverable never has provisions for what do you do as you get smarter. Now, SESME is the only organization who has a, 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 a mechanism where they even reference it in any way, shape, or form. And that's under the, uh, the execute and sustain step that SESME uses. I don't recommend people do SESME's assessment because their assessment's flawed. I recommend people use our DTMA process. You don't have to go have us do it. You, there are other, we teach other integrators in our mastermind program. We teach end users how to do it. There are other organizations out there who use our exact same process and report their data into our data set. So it's not just us doing it. Obviously we created it, so we do it faster and blah, blah, blah. But you know, I don't recommend people use SESME's assessment tool because I think it's horribly flawed. But why do manufacturers fail? Why do they end up coming us to us? It's really only three reasons. They picked the wrong, had the wrong strategy or no strategy at all, picked the wrong technology, or they picked many wrong technologies, or they picked the wrong partners or many poor wrong partners. One of the issues in the industry is that the existing processes are flawed. The existing assessment processes are flawed, Right. So there is a there are very specific steps to digital transformation, okay? So that is if you are digitally transforming, you are going through very specific steps, and those steps, if you look at the industry 4.0, uh, or the EU's industry 4.0 standard, they tell you that the maturity level of an organization, the first step in digital transformation, is computerization. It's not true. It's education. That's why you can't. That's why the EU standard is flawed. It starts with education. So the steps to digital transformation are, are pretty simple, okay? It starts with inventorying the business. That is how the business operates. Inventorying the intelligence, the smart stuff. And then, your, and, then, and then your first milestone in the DTMA process is a score. 
on a digital transformation scale between 3.0 and 4.0 against 1,300 other companies. That's across 10 industry 4.0 pillars, pillars we selected because we know these are the ones that matter. And so if you look at an organization, you get a score uh, between one and five or zero and five. You can get a zero in a pillar, but generally it's between one and five across 10 pillars. And then you are scored. You get an aggregate score. Then we run a mean across the entire sample set and we run a standard deviation and then normalized distribution. And then we show this organization where they stand relative to all the other companies in our data set. And we show them, here are the companies in the top 10. Here are the companies in the middle, uh, at the mean. We never show them who's in the bottom because that, that would show, you know, it, we don't give them the company's names, but we'll, we'll give them information about the companies. This is an automotive manufacturer, or this is an automotive company, or this is a whatever. We'll show them the samples of the companies, but we'll show them on the distribution where they are. So now they know where they fit relative to industry okay and then sometimes people will ask like uh, once we had a auto manufacturer who actually manufactures cars they said we want to see where we are against all of industry and then against just the automotive industry so within the automotive industry we had 77 auto manufacturers and tier one suppliers so we were able to plot them across uh, we sh we did a distribution across those 77 for them and so they got to see where they fit even among their own suppliers Right. Then the next step is you design the foundational architecture. So this is dur during the DTMA process. And then you basically create a roadmap of a journey that starts out very clear. Okay. It starts out very clear during the first year to 18 months, and then it gets fuzzy. Okay. You end up with, if you look at that roadmap, it sort of shows, you know, once you're beyond the 18 month mark, we think you're, you're going to probably focus on these three areas. And then at the 24-month mark, it's going to be these three use cases. But that's subject to change because your business is going to get smarter. You're going to get smarter. You're going to find other problems you may want to tackle iteratively. Okay. Then you do a proof of concept so that you can implement your unified namespace, your technology, your strategy. You can build your team. You can get accustomed to transforming use cases. right? And then you just keep going. You present information to people what they need, when they need, how they need it. That is, those are the steps to digital transformation at a, at a you know, 5,000 foot view. That is what we teach in Mastermind, right? So when you hear me reference Mastermind, we're teaching, we're teaching how to lead digital transformation using our, our principles and, and we teach how to do the digital transformation maturity assessment, okay? So what is the digital transformation maturity assessment? So if you're, if you're explaining to organization, your organization, why you need to do it, here's what it is, okay? It's all about going from inventorying your business, inventorying your intelligence, and connecting your intelligence to the network. That's really the DTMA process. And at the same time, ascertaining how equipped you are to integrate into a single source of truth for your business, a unified namespace, present information, learn from your new knowledge, expand your unified namespace and present new information and get smarter over time. Okay, that is, those are the steps, okay? What is a DTMA? So let's, what is, what's the experience like? Okay, well, it starts with a 23 point assessment, 
that is not 23 pillars, but 23 questions that is inventorying the business and the intelligence. Then you have a kickoff meeting. And then we do a, we do a series of sessions and breakouts. So the sessions are with cross-functional groups, primarily operations, IT, maintenance, engineering, quality, and leadership. Leadership's all centered around strategy. Generally, we're meeting with the board of directors in the leadership meeting. Um, for really large organizations, we might do this across each business unit. So we do five core sessions in each business unit. Depends on how we decide to chart it for the, the size of the organization. And then you have breakout sessions where you're looking at individual technologies. So we, we may ask a question like, do you use MES? And they'll say, yes, we use it in this plant, we use it in that plant, or we use it in this area in that plant. And then we'll, we'll schedule breakout sessions where we get to review the underlying technology that they have. Okay. Then we do the scoring and we plot you so you know where you stand relative to other companies that are on this journey. And then we do a roadmap, which is generally a 40 to 50 page document that's unique to you. It's all about where are you? Where do you want to go based on what you know right now? And where should you start? We also go put in there what the risks are. Okay. Hey, you're, you're missing this team. You're missing these human resources or this, this human resource might be a problem in this journey. Okay. You, you, you may want to consider moving this person out of that role or putting this person in that role. Let me say this. We get a lot of people promoted, <laughs> and there are people listening to this podcast right now who have been promoted by us. And when I say promoted, I mean they went from frontline engineers to directors. They skipped over three levels, they, and they became a director of a completely new digital transformation team that the now the director of IT is reporting up into. <clears throat> One of the things we do in the DTMA is we, we, tell, we recommend to organizations how they reorg need to put this team in you should you should move your 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 organizational structure like this so that you want short time to value you want quick wins you want quick iterations big you know quick use cases um and we we help organizations reorg their business the goal from the dtma is to really get you three things okay coming out that is, and in, in when a customer, when a client comes to us and they want us to do, say, a proof of concept, we, we're asking three questions internally, okay? Um, hey, Intellic Integration, we hear you guys are awesome. We, want, we have this proof of concept. We're putting a brand new digital MES in, um, and it's part of our digital transformation journey. Um, are you guys interested in quoting the project for us? And we'll, we're asking three questions. Number one, do they have a digital strategy? Like, is it in three sentences? Can they send it to me? Can we look at what their digital strategy is? Number two, do they have, have they settled on a common technological infrastructure? So do they have an architecture for connecting all the smart things in their business in a way where they treat them as nodes in an ecosystem? Okay. And number three, um, the first one's strategy. The second one is um, technology. Oh, the third one is minimum technical requirements. Do they have a, a minimum technical requirements document that we can give to vendors to, to, so that they can self-qualify whether or not their smart thing is going to work in our ecosystem? If you don't have those three things, if you have strategy and architecture, we'll, just, we'll encourage you to write MTR before we do the proof of concept. But if you don't have strategy and architecture in place, then 
we're we're always telling you you need to do the DTMA first. D- DTMA is 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 laying the foundation for the journey. Right? And then the last thing that I wanted to go over is this, okay? There are some very important concepts in digital transformation, okay? And these are things we drill in all the time. And this is this is a this is, you know, this is a video you should share with your leadership, all right? Number one, when it comes to digital transformation, digital transformation is a strategy. It is not a project, all right? Number two, digital transformation is about transforming the way manufacturers operate their businesses by leveraging data they generate every day but never or rarely consume in real time. Number three, most importantly, you don't want to hear this. Okay, Kodak didn't want to hear this in the late 90, or late 70s. Smith Corona didn't want to hear this in the early 80s, okay? Corning Glass, if it weren't for Gorilla Glass, they'd be gone. They didn't want to hear this in the late 80s, okay? Not everyone can be helped. You must invest your energy on the businesses you can help. You got to start with finding organizations or people who admit they have a problem. Number, uh, there are six quick concepts. You got to drill these into your head, okay? Leadership, leader who's watching this video. Number one, every person in your organization should be able to recite from memory what your digital strategy is. You must know what your digital strategy is. Before you ever do any project, if I, in any proof of concept, uh, install any MES system, do any updated limb system, um, pick a cloud provider, do a machine learning use case, you must know what your digital strategy is. If you cannot recite what the organization's digital strategy is, stop, take two steps back, and settle on the digital strategy. This is one of the reasons the digital transformation maturity assessment that we do exists. Is because if you don't have a strategy, you're wasting your fucking time. Number two, you must approach every project as one part of a much bigger whole. We call this iterations, okay? You digitally transform iteratively because you get smarter over time. You don't wanna try and bite off one big huge chunk and then a third of the way through the project you get so smart you realize the next two thirds of the project is a waste of your time. You do small, quick iterations, okay? In the beginning, you want them to be no longer than 12 weeks. Maybe a year in, you can go six months at a time, okay? But that first 12 to 18 months after you've settled on your digital strategy, is all about laying the foundation and, and getting quick time to value to show the value to the business of digital transformation. But you must approach every project as one part of a bigger whole. How is what I'm building right now gonna stand on the shoulders of what we iterated with yesterday and how will tomorrow stand on my shoulders? Number three, make no assumptions about how data will be consumed. All data matters. What is data? It's a thing that happened and when it happened, an event and a timestamp. Every single data point in your organization matters. Just because you don't have a use for it today doesn't mean that 10 years from now, five years from now, somebody's not going to have a use for looking at the last five years of that data. All data matters. Digital transformation industry 4.0 is about turning data into your primary commodity, no matter what you make. It's about making products that get better after you buy them on top of a digital ecosystem, making data your primary commodity, okay?
Number four, treat all producers and consumers of data as a node in the ecosystem. This is why you can't use Rockwell's connected enterprise. This is why you can't use any of the off-the-shelf sh off solutions. Anyone who's using digital threading, anyone who uses terms like digital twin, they're using digital twin, digital thread, run, okay? Because the smart things in your business need to produce data and consume information, including your PLCs, including your HMIs, including every piece of software, including your operators. Number five, focus on technology, not software. Pick software based on common technology, right? And we teach this in the DTMA, we teach it in Mastermind, we teach it in mentorship. And number six, most importantly, you must, must, must remain agile. What you want today is a function of what you know today. Your business is going to get smarter. Therefore, it naturally follows that what you want will change at the same rate you get smarter. So digital transformation is about exponentially increasing the collective knowledge of your organization. There, it, and if what you want is a function of what you know, then it naturally follows that what you want is going to change exponentially. This is why agility is so important. This is why common technology, this is why edge-driven, report by exception, lightweight matters. This is why self-aware SCADA matters. This is why the unified namespace matters. This is why PubSub matters. Okay? All right. Hopefully, hopefully, I've answered that. Th 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 this, these are the top, this is the top question. Why do I need to do a DTMA and how do I con convince my organization to do it? The answer is you haven't started your journey, your digital transformation journey, until you have completed a digital transformation maturity assessment. And I am not talking about McKinsey's assessment. And I'm not talking about SESME's assessment. Okay? I'm not talking about Ceres assessment in Europe. I'm not talking about Schneider. And I'm not talking about Rockwell. Okay? What I'm talking about is a digital transformation maturity assessment that actually works. Okay? A, a DTMA that gives you a maturity scale on a 3.0 to 4.0 scale and shows you where you stand relative to other manufacturers across the actual 10 industry 4.0 pillars. Okay? It's the, plus a roadmap for starting or continuing your digital transformation journey, including current state, future state, architecture, risks, first steps, but also instruction on leadership, selection of leadership, Recommendations on how to reorg includes evaluation, assessment, roadmap, maturity score. The key outputs are your digital strategy, which you must have, your architecture based on technology, and your minimum technical requirements. Okay. Um, two things that the team wanted me to announce. Um, number one, um, you know, in, in service of this, we're, we're doing a big DTMA push. Um, um, and I know that they're doing some type of, um, you know, for the third, I think for the third quarter, they're doing some big incentive-based thing. But there, there's, a, there's a big thing that's going on right now. We're getting ready, right, we're at a point in Mastermind in the mentorship program where uh, if where adding new members at this point is not going to be to a detriment to those new members, okay? So we're at a point where we can seamlessly add. And right now they're doing something where um, if you add two people to Mastermind, you get five seats in the mentorship. You can add five people to mentorship. 
at the same time for, uh, at no charge. So mentorship is all about teaching people how to the technology, teaching them the technical skills to do digital transformation, um, being the engineers who support it. And Mastermind is all about leading architecture, strategy, technology. Uh, we do talk a lot about leadership. Um, last week in, in mentorship, in our mentorship session, we, um, we got rave reviews from that session. Uh, all, the, all the reviews that came back were exceptional. We did a uh, predictive analytics um, training using Flow software at the beginning. Graham Welton came and joined us and did a predictive analytics, show, basically showing how you can plot real-time data and future predicted data based on a certain sample set in the same chart. Um, and then the second was a big announcement from Frameworks. That's actually where we got the biggest glowing reviews. Uh, but everybody was very happy with the flow stuff too, but Frameworks got a huge glowing review in terms of uh, self-aware SCADA. So they, they have a new component coming out, um, Tatsoft Frameworks does, um, called the Asset Component Monitor, I think it's called, or the Asset Monitor Component. Um, and they have an accompanying project that uh, allows you to basically build a completely self-aware SCADA system by just by... Um, naming your templates the, the or they use a uh, a signature between the name of a, a name that they see in the namespace with with parameters that 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 name has so say it's a heater and it's got the four requisite um, parameters if you've built a template that has that heater in the name with those four parameters it'll automatically plot it on the window when you select that part of the namespace it's pretty crazy uh, it, really people were blown away I mean, I was blown away, and I knew they were doing it, and they still blew me away. So uh, we got grave, rave reviews in there, and actually a lot of people asked us to do a second training. I think four of the, the, original, four of the original people asked that we do a second session where we do it more advanced. So, um, But anyway, I'm, I went over. Hopefully this was a, you know, a valuable message. This, this is by, by far the number, one, the number one question we get. Do you need to digitally transform? You bet your ass you do. Um, there are a lot of pitfalls. You got to make sure you start with the first, the correct first three steps. If you don't do that, you're you're wasting your money. Um, and and that journey starts with a digital transformation maturity assessment. And hopefully, I've explained the difference between the approach that we take and why it is you really should be using partners who use our DTMA process rather than you know, doing one of these self-assessments or whatever, which is, you know, not worth the paper it's written on. So uh, anyway, that's my story. I'm sticking to it. And I'll see you guys next week. Thank you.